Here's a news flash. Surprise, surprise. Well, look at you. The whole world is watching for my next move. Oh my God. Times have changed. There are no rules. You're gonna love it. Hi, and welcome to Skip Intro, the podcast from Binge, all about the world's best television. Each week, we're here to discuss the biggest new shows on Binge, along with a few of our own recommendations. My name is John Boehm, here with Ali Herbert Burns, and together we look after all the great TV and movies that you see on Binge, from buying them, to scheduling them, to spinning up all the collections that you see when you when you open the app. Ali, we've got a few things to talk about this week. Where are we starting? We are starting with This Is Going To Hurt, a new BBC drama that lands on Binge this week. And we're also talking about We're Here, which is a slightly different tone. This is a reality, unscripted story that takes us across regional and rural America as drag queens in a drag show come to town. So two quite different, different shows to talk about. And then we have our dinner party recommendations, those shows that when we are out with friends or strangers that ask us frequently what's good to watch on binge these are some hidden gems they don't necessarily have to be brand new but just things that we love that we like to tell people to get across and watch awesome well let's head to the uh, hospital with this is going to hurt this is obzangaini you're generally sailing the ship alone a ship that's massive and on fire and no one's had the time to teach you how to sail it's Literally life or death, yeah. Based on Adam Kay's best-selling memoir of the same name, This Is Gonna Hurt is a brand new BBC drama about life in the National Health Service for a junior doctor. Based in a pre-pandemic mid-noughties, the comedy drama is set in the labour ward of a British hospital and captures in all its gruesome detail the life of an overworked and underfunded medical system. Now, Ali, I've not read the book that this is based on, but um, Adam Kay is a sort of relatively known comedian and, and writer these days in the UK. And the book this is based on is sort of a series of diary entries. So it's a little bit hectic in that it's just sort of recalling all these situations that occurred to him in, in you know, various degrees of gruesome detail. You kind of get that like vibe that it's a little bit hectic and a little bit like going from moment to moment. Very much so. So we should probably say that Adam Kay is no longer a doctor, but he was the very junior doctor that he wrote when he wrote the book, wasn't he? And he's kind of since become a writer and a comedian. But yeah, you're very much following his story, the story of him as the doctor and his days, like it's what happens to him in that day. So, you know, his point of view on all of it and it cuts between the pressures on himself and the personal life and, and the job. So as you do as a human, hectically kind of going through your mind and your thoughts in a day, that certainly comes across on screen, doesn't it? And I actually felt quite, I really liked the show, but I felt quite stressed watching it because you felt the pressure he was in and under as I watched it. Yeah, it's, it is a stressful show. And I would say that I found it quite different to other medical dramas tonally. You know, this isn't New Amsterdam or, or Grey's Anatomy. It's both sort of much grittier than that but also I think there's a lot more there's a lot more humor and humanity I would say it's both funnier and both far far more deadly serious than a regular medical drama some of the stuff they cover and you know these aren't spoilers but you know they deal with domestic violence they deal with racism they deal with mental health there's a sort of a whole episode where they are doing this contrast between um, a patient receiving private and public healthcare. So there's sort of a commentary on the entire healthcare system. Obviously, there's there's commentary on the idea that the hospitals are underfunded and understaffed, which is not a surprise. 
but then there's, you know, sort of bigger commentary on the whole concept of how we should be paying for medicine and who should be getting what sort of treatment. And Well, it's effectively, it's a, it's a reflection of true life, isn't it? And this is a person who is working in the NHS and like so many Brits do, they love the NHS and it's, you know, renowned as one of the best public health systems in the world. But you can see here, this is pre-COVID, like you said, and pre-pandemic, the pressure that it's under. Also, the humanity of the doctors and the nurses, the decisions that they make, there's some things that they, you know, they fail at. And I think why it's so different to so many other hospital shows where you sometimes get that kind of God complex of the hero doctor coming in against, you know, all odds and finding a way to to still save someone. Some of the things that happen in this, you know, to your point, are very realistic and reflecting what happens in hospital systems and in society and the type of people that they're looking after. But it's just, it's quite gory. I think you said it's gritty. What other shows is it like? ER, when it first came out, was kind of gritty and real and you felt the craziness of that Chicago hospital and the pace and the doors swinging and the people running around. Like, But this kind of takes some of the medical procedures to a grittier level, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah, I've read a few things about the sort of prosthetics that they used for some of the scenes. There's, a, I wouldn't say a lot of blood, but there are moments where there is a lot of blood, but there are also moments where, where there's no blood. But it comes back to, you know, giving a realistic portrayal. I've not witnessed or experienced a, a childbirth, but I imagine it's it's not as neat as a lot of medical dramas portray them to be. And it's probably a lot more in line with um, the way this is going to hurt portrays it. Because he's a doctor doing a rotation through being an obstetrician and gyno stuff so it's all female lady stuff isn't it he's just on that ward (laughs) so yeah you see all different types of births and as a lady I must admit I was squirming in my seat and looking at a lot of it through my fingers I'm a bit like I would in a horror film because some of it is quite intense I'm sure for people that have had children or are pregnant it might come a bit close to home but amazingly raw and and true in how it portrays it as well isn't it yeah, and obviously it's this is a medical set drama, but it does deal with a couple of other really interesting topics. One of them is medical, but is it deals with the hierarchy and the bureaucracy of, of the NHS. So um, deals with the the management of the hospital and then sort of the hierarchical structures of junior medics and senior medics, and I don't know if it's the bullying or the education or whatever, but the, you know the dynamics of what level you're at in the hospital. And I would almost say the sort of running theme throughout the whole show is just kind of the mental and physical and emotional burnout of doing that work under that pressure that I feel like the kind of summary of the whole show is it's like this portrait of these people who are going to hit a wall at some point because no person I think they even say this at some point like no person can do what these people are doing forever like it's just unsustainable to have it be so understaffed, to be constantly at full beds. And what obviously makes this even more tragic is that this was, again, pre-COVID. So you're watching this, seeing how pushed to the limit they are in 2005 or, or whenever it's based and just not even be able to wrap your head around what a hospital must have must look like yeah and John, over the last two years isn't it interesting because you're like you're talking about there how the people get pushed to their limit and they won't be able to keep doing it or they'll burn out but also the impact of them being so overworked in terms of mistakes. So in that first episode, you see a mistake at the end of a really long shift and also he starts the day running late. He wakes up, doesn't kind of know where he's in his car and he fell asleep and didn't even drive home. He's still sitting in the car park of the hospital. The turnaround sometimes between shifts, these people are doing 15-hour days and and intense days, not sitting behind a desk and, and looking at the computer kind of day. So, yeah, you just kind of come away going, how's this possible? But then you see, to your point, that hierarchy of the hospital where 
the consultant or the kind of the, the head doctor that's running the ward or, or the or the area is I think that one scene he kind of drives past the front entrance to the hospital past the crowd of, of ambulances in his Maserati or some fancy car is the idea that if you hang in long enough it'll ultimately be worth it but then the emotional toll that's being on these people these doctors and nurses is amazing as well isn't it and that's what I found so poignant and raw about this show really it's the way some of the the things that happen on the ward and happen to his patients haunt and hang with him because he's clearly intelligent and hardworking and wants to be a good doctor but he's falling short because of the system that he's in and how that kind of weighs on him, which is a very unique way to look at a doctor because normally they're heroes, aren't they, that ride in and save the world and, you know, hospital closes the doors for the day. Yeah, the anguish of of that mistake also kind of plays through the series um, and, you know, seeps into his personal life. Obviously, like these things don't leave your mind once you walk out of the hospital. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, he, he has flashbacks when he's with his partner. He, he wants to tell his partner what's happening, but also he wants to just say when someone asks him, you know, how his day was, he just wants to say, oh, it was fine because he doesn't want to get into the truth of what happened, you know, that people died or that he saved someone's life. It's just like too much to mm-hmm. even verbalize to somebody. But I think this is it's an incredible series. Like I know we're early in the year, but I feel like this is going to, you know, end up on people's top tens. I've watched the entire thing, all, all seven episodes, mainly out of a lack of ability to stop watching. It's funny because it is quite, it's heavy, isn't it? But I, I was the same once I was there, I was in. And besides the, if you're going to faint or you're that kind of person, like you will have to kind of block your eyes on some of the um, the birthing scenes and the, the more physical parts of it. It's almost a love letter to the NHS as well, because it's so honest about how he is in a system that he ultimately wants to succeed. But you have to kind of show the reality of it for people. I can imagine people in Britain watching this and raging against, you know, how do we fix this? Or, you know, I think it'll get a lot of talk in that regard. But it's almost heartbreaking because all these people are working so hard and no matter how hard they work, they're not kind of cutting into fixing the problem, are they? They're just just paddling and keeping their head above water in a normal shift and then it all starts again the next day, sometimes behind. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's incredible. It's, it's produced by a company called uh, Sister Pictures, who have also done Chernobyl and Landscapers and Gangs of London. So it's got this really great pedigree. But I think uh, just so much of it comes from the fact that these are largely true stories that have obviously been sort of fictionalized for the purpose of a drama. But I just think there's so, obviously so much truth to the stories that have been written in this that I think it really comes through. And I think there's heaps more we could say about this, but um, I would just say, please check it out because I think it's brilliant. Now, delicious. Present. Hang on, isn't this the placenta? No, that's blood clots from inside you. That's blood clots. The love child of Queer Eye and RuPaul's Drag Race, the HBO reality series We're Here follows three Drag Race alum as they descend on small town America for a one-night show, transforming three locals into drag stars and hoping to bring a little bit of glamour to these sleepy communities and heal some divides along the way. Drag is about empowerment. We travel across this country to take people from who they are to what they can be. Thank God I brought these. We're actually taking some locals, <laughs> turning them into fierce drag queens. Shangela, love the drag queen, and Eureka. We came and we brought drag. Ooh, I feel like Mary Poppins, bitch. Ali, this is a sort of breezy, charming reality series, but with a bit of a HBO bent, would you say? 
Yeah, gosh, I liked this show. I felt like it was, um, it took a lot of what I like about RuPaul and um, Queer Eye and it had a kind of additional personal element because you're going into some very small towns in, in America. Uh, you're dealing with people that have either had family issues to do with their orientation, a lot of religious stuff going on as well, but it almost is trying to open the mind of the community of the town that it rolls into and almost help do some healing for some people in the town because in every episode they go to a different town in America don't they they go to Louisiana I think they start in Pennsylvania and they almost roll in Priscilla style with their you know gorgeous buses but they they work with a couple of people in the town to join the drag show and then almost convince the town to come to the show and in doing so there's a little bit of personal backstory and hopefully some healing that happens for people which is the element I really thought distinguishes from some of the other things that we've seen yeah so every episode three um, drag queens uh, come into town and and choose three local people to sort of be transformed and trained into joining them for this one night only drag show and the participants are a mix of young queer people who are you know fresh out of the closet or you know still finding their way in their small communities and their identity and then some of them are allies so parents or friends or you know community leaders and part of the story with, with those allies is usually some kind of coming to terms with either some you know past prejudice or a family member or yeah sort of opening up their their mind i would say despite all this the show is very sort of gentle and calm there aren't big moments of um conflict people aren't having shouting matches over um gender identity it's a relatively gentle and charming show but certainly has these moments of catharsis where you do see a mother who maybe took a bit too long to come to terms with her daughter's sexuality being able to embrace it and things like that yeah i would say the the show is overwhelmingly positive i agree we're waiting all of season one coming to binge on the 28th of february but it's already had a second season in the state so hopefully there'll be more of this to follow as well if it's something that you get into and you really like but heartwarming eye-opening um, and another really nice way into this as well um because it's effectively trying to yeah explain drag culture to the town as well isn't it so if it's something that you haven't really watched before or got into it's a it's a different way into the into the show yeah and I, I would say it's not like entirely sanitized there are certainly moments where you know there's a comment from someone in the town about you know not wanting these people in the town or whatever it's not entirely sanitized fairy tale that they just come in and everything's perfect like most things in life you know when some people just hang out together they, they're usually nice to each other um and most people just want to watch a good show um which is how each of these episodes end obviously with these three local participants having been trained up to uh strut their stuff at the end um and then you know, with varying degrees of sort of emotional payoff. For some of them, it's just like, yeah, I, I feel more in my skin. And then for others, it's like, you know, I finally reconnected with my son or whoever. It's an easy watch. It's not a criticism, but it follows a fairly strict format, which, you know, we love in television because we know what we're going to get. Each episode, it's a new town and some new contestants and some new backstories and a new great show to wrap up each episode. Like Ali said, uh, season one is dropping February 28th. Uh, there's six one-hour episodes um and yeah we're dropping them all at once if i'm not willing to live in the shoes of somebody who does drag then how can i expect someone to understand my experience really it's like a triumph of love over labels how do you feel being in drag sexy as f john i'm over covid i'm back to dinner parties i actually had this situation in real life on friday night end of the work week 
go to a friend's house for dinner. We all get talking about television late in the evening. What to watch, what to watch? And I said, well, funny you should say that because we have our dinner party recommendations every week on our podcast where we um, talk about the shows that might not be brand new to binge but are kind of golden oldies or best of the best in the collection from what we think. They don't necessarily have to be critically reviewed but the ones that you and I in particular love. So, John, what is your dinner party recommendation this week? Well, just a bit of a um, different one for me this week. It's not a classic library title and it's not a new shiny thing but I think it's worth mentioning because... We do have a lot of shows on Binge that just drop weekly, that we fast track from around the world, that are quite topical, that aren't always the new shiny scripted series. And this returns to our screens on February 21st with new episodes. And I am, of course, talking about last week tonight. As you may recall, last week on this exact program, I had a little bit of fun uh, with some of the health claims made by Pom Wonderful. If you know a man that you care about or you are a man, <laughs> Make him drink eight ounces of pomegranate juice a day because what it does for prostate cancer is amazing. Or really, just give him a pomegranate enema instead. <laughs> just shove a bottle of pomegranate juice up his ass and squeeze it. You'll be amazed at the results. People who aren't familiar, it's sort of a, it's a weekly um, wrap-up of the news of the week, although it's much more than that. Uh, it's a sort of a political satire show. John Oliver rose to fame in the John Stewart years of, of The Daily Show, which I spent my youth watching four nights a week, um, along with The Colbert Report. So they were kind of, you know, foundational shows for little old John growing up. We could probably have um, a whole episode on, on this category and genre of programming, can't we? Yes, because I absolutely love it. <laughs> and origin story of this whole show is that John Oliver filled in for John Stewart for a couple of months when he when John Stewart went off and directed a film. And John Oliver was just so great at hosting it that uh, HBO threw him the opportunity to host his own weekly show, which birthed last week tonight. So it's now in its ninth season. Um, unlike some of these other shows, it is just once a week. So it's sort of easier to stay on top of. But I think what it does excellently, and there's no way of explaining this without it sounding dull, but it's anything but dull, is that each episode basically, besides a bit of a wrap-up of the week's news, does this like 15-20 minute dive into a single topic. And they're usually not sexy or the front of mind issues. So I would warn that if you, you know, see the topic of the week and go, I'm not going to be into this. I've said that to myself. You still always watch it because it always ends up being great. So no matter the topic, the sort of format and the style that they deliver it in just makes everything compelling. So they, they talk about everything from like homelessness to the World Health Organization. They did episodes last season on union busting and on the Guinness World Records and multi-level marketing and Tucker Carlson and like a million different topics. Through the lens of, of John Oliver, he makes it fascinating, he makes it relevant. And he also usually ends you leaving kind of angry and wanting to do something about it. It because at the core of it, the show is highlighting either like systemic or institutional failures in the world where someone in power has done something and it's impacting all these people this way and there's probably a solution to it, but nothing's happening. That's that's to me the core of what the show is. Yeah, it kind of uses like angry man humour to really educate, doesn't it? Because if you just watch that, you come out going, gosh, I've learned something about the news cycle this week or the world, but does it in a way that kind of reaches people. Yeah, obviously there's so many things that we need fixing and not like you could do an episode on climate change every week. But I think what's interesting is that he does dive into these sort of smaller issues that 
like I said, don't always get that much press or interest, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't be trying to address these issues as well. For a show that's made by HBO and airs on a um, premium subscription network, it's kind of like as close to public service television as I think you can get, because it is trying to raise issues into the public that people can hopefully try and fix. Is it coming from a coastal elite bubble though, John? Uh, well, like probably. He, he lives on the coast and he's an elite. Um, <laughs> But I would say there's nothing wrong with that. I would say, I think what's also great about the show is a lot of research goes into it. The, you know, you can just see in the credits the number of researchers they have and the time they spend looking into these single issues. So I think it's good when smart people spend a lot of time thinking about something and present it to you intelligently and humorously because that's usually a lot more effective than sort of a angry boomer just shouting at you for you know half an hour about racism or something and this is a big show i mean it has a big audience it, it runs for a lot of the year doesn't it so it's, it's come back now and it runs through to november doesn't it it's almost every week uh, there's 30 something episodes all throughout the year and each episode does have a sort of a big topic but yeah it, it's it's a weekly ritual that i thoroughly enjoy um watching the episode every every monday night so i'm glad to get back into the rhythm of that from monday Fabulous. So what time does it drop on binge every Monday? So we get it up online by 6pm Monday night. So that's just a, an hour or two after it finishes airing in the US. So you're able to jump on the conversation with the rest of the world as it happens. Great. So watch it. We can all be more educated and maybe a little angrier every week. Yeah. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> is your show going to make us angrier? I don't think so. My show is the granddaddy of true crime. Um, when you think about true crime documentaries and series that kind of set this, this genre alight, a lot of people will remember Making a Murderer, but before Making a Murderer was The Jinx, The Life and Death of Robert Durst, which is the story of a, a New York real estate heir and really wealthy man who was suspected in the murder of two people um, and implicated in the murder of a third, but is walking around a free man, and the the director of this series spent 10 years investigating Robert Durst and tracking him down and did hundreds of interviews, spent hours interviewing Robert Durst as well to put this series together. I'm not going to give it away because if you haven't watched The Jinx, I really, really recommend that you watch it. And if you love true crime, um, it's such a brilliant one to start with or to get across. But the twist in the final episode, this is a case of a documentary also changing the outcome of a person's life and of a crime investigation. So if you like things like I'll Be Gone in the Dark, which looked at the the case, who was it? Golden, Golden State Killer. Yeah, the Golden State Killer. And, you know, where the outcome of, of that true crime investigation impacted the outcome of a crime, a real life investigation. I think that's something awesome about the jinx and... I can't talk about the final episode, can I? Or can I? No, no I can't. Well, you got to watch it. <laughs> if you if you if you are listening to this and have not watched the Jinx, then just watch it. If you're listening to this and have watched the Jinx, then you know what we're talking about. It's an iconic twist. Like as far as twists go, it is like up there with like the Sixth Sense, I think. And it's like I still remember. I still can remember like standing up. I know, from, like, and, like shouting when it happened. And yeah. it's like if you're one of those people that sends an email and then you worry that you've sent it to the wrong person, you're on the phone and you hang up and you wonder if the per you haven't hung up properly because maybe the person can still hear you. Just watch this show and I think look we've got a series coming on we've talked about it a few weeks ago um, later this year called The Staircase which is an, an HBO drama but it is based on a real 
true crime that happened. There's a true crime documentary on Netflix called The Staircase, um, which is also about the same case. So I think in the spirit of getting across my true crime as we wait for The Staircase, this the jinx is the perfect thing to get you in the mood. And it just kind of shows you how to do this television. Once you watch The Jinx and you inevitably fall down like a Wikipedia rabbit hole or whatever, the story is very much concluded. So you're able to get some, well, I think you're able to get quite a lot of resolution. They pretty much tie up all the loose ends. Not like Making a Murder where we waited a year or two in between season one and two and thought, is the second series going to get him out of jail or whatever? And it had no kind of conclusion, did it? It just still languishing in the US system. Robert Durst actually died last year, didn't he? Yeah, he died last year. And it also... um, Sort of the other interesting layer is it just speaks to like the power and privilege that comes with wealth because he is this sort of real estate heir who whose money and family and connections kind of meant he kept you know skating through scenarios where i'm sure any other normal person would have ended up in jail or well, the three people that he was involved in their murders on <laughs> the first one with his wife the second one was his best friend and the third one was his neighbour. So, yeah, by the time, I think he was always considered a suspect in the first two and he actually pleaded guilty to the third one, I think, for self-defence. Um, but, yeah, to have three murders happen around one person is, like, not really a coincidence, is it? So yeah. it's also really interesting because, again, I can't go into it too much without giving it away, but this was going out weekly back in 2015 on HBO and throughout the process of the episodes dropping more evidence came to light. So yeah, it's um it's almost stranger than fiction. It's it's yeah. definitely worth a watch. I don't think you'll regret it. There's six episodes, about four hours altogether, an easy weekend watch, the jinx. Why did he do this? No one knows. Why was he dressed like a woman? No one knows. The only witness left alive to even talk about it is Robert Durst. We had very compelling evidence. This case was not investigated the way it should have been. A lot of smoke doesn't necessarily mean fire, but I think there's a lot of smoke here. Not tell the whole truth. Nobody tells the whole truth. Okay, this week on Skip Intro, we talked about We're Here, the new HBO reality series, which drops February 28th. We also talked about the new BBC drama, This Is Going To Hurt, which the full season is available to stream from the next day, March 1st on Binge. And then our dinner party recommendations were Last Week Tonight, which starts a new season this week, and you can drop uh, watch new episodes every Monday. And Ali recommended that we check out or revisit the excellent true crime series, The Jinx, Um, which you can stream all episodes of right now. You can, of course, find Binge on your favourite devices. I'm John Boehm, Ali. Great to chat once again. Thanks, John. This podcast was produced by Dan Barrett with audio editing and mixing by Chris Yates, and we'll be back next week with more suggestions. 